This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 109 of the Muscles and Management Podcast and another edition of Meathead Monday. Uh, I'm leading in with that because... So, okay, so the topic of this episode, as you know from looking at the title and if you've seen me tweet about it, um, is going to be based around the video of Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, stealing, I'm sorry, not stealing home, uh, tagging up from third base, basically in a sprinter position. It got around the internet and I actually tweeted about a little breakdown, I did a little breakdown on what I saw from his mechanics that I really liked. Not so much, um, you know, that I think that you should be running from the base in that position. Um, you know, it, it was pointed out that there were some inefficiencies in terms of how he started and where his arms were positioned that could have, you know, helped him a little bit if he'd done it differently. I more so wanted to talk about it from the perspective of, um, you know, here is some really good stuff going on in terms of mechanics on uh, the baseball field. And just, I think it's really cool because, I obviously talk about sprint mechanics a lot. I work with a lot of my athletes and my baseball athletes in particular on mechanics, uh, improving 60 times, things like that. And it's always cool to see solid sprint mechanics, um, you know, implemented or, or, or performed in a game setting. Um, you know, obviously things don't always go exactly how they do in the more controlled setting of training when we're in a game. So when we see, you know, really solid mechanics in sprinting, um, you know, put in there with the reaction, the adrenaline of the game, you know, a guy's trying to throw you out from the outfield and you're, um, you know, you're, you're running home. I, I think it's really cool. And I, I wanted to use the opportunity to uh, have this episode go further in depth on what I saw from the mechanics and basically then give you guys some things that I would implement to get to those positions if they're not being achieved already. Um, you know, so the reason I said this is Meathead Monday is because I actually had a follower. Um, I think he actually even might be a new follower from the post um, this weekend because it, it got over like a thousand likes. It really took off and um, had some people looking at some things that I posted that normally don't follow me. And he asked what Meathead Monday was. And I was like, well, sir, good question. Um, you know, any new listeners for the sh- to the show this week because of this post and that I'm doing this episode on that post, this is Meathead Monday. Um, it's Monday, pretty self-explanatory. I'm a meathead, very self-explanatory as well. Um, and you're listening to Muscles and Management. Mondays are the episodes where I basically do Q&As. Solo episodes explaining different topics, getting into depth. They're 20 to 30 minutes. They're very concise and to the point. And I try to give you guys as much information as possible on questions you have or, you know, expanding on tweets that I've put up or things like that. Um, as opposed to my Wednesday episode of Muscles and Management, which is, um, you know, which are interviews with coaches, sport coaches, strength coaches, uh, business uh, people, you know, obviously muscles and management being mostly about sports, but the management part, or I'm sorry, sports performance, but the management part also involving a little bit with entrepreneurship and business. But um, that is what Meathead Monday is. If you want to know, um, you know, and you ask that question because you're a new listener, um, you know, basically a really good time to uh, get into into depth on some topics that you can't get done in 280 characters or a Twitter thread or, um, you know, just allowing me to speak on on them in more detail. So that is what this is. That is me hit Monday and we are here for another one. Um, with that said, a couple announcements just released last night, Julian's newest ebook, 
supplement guide for better performance. Um, you know, basically his top five supplements, his favorite supplements, what those are, uh, you know, what they, what they are. So obviously like the, what those top five things are, but what those specific things actually involve, uh, and include and, you know, his recommendations on them. I think it's a really important, uh, ebook because supplements are very misunderstood in, you know, nutrition and in sports performance, you know, whether we just don't use them at all because we don't understand them or we take the wrong things or a lot of things that are just useless or a waste of time or even maybe bad for us. You know, Julian kind of takes the guesswork out of that for you and gives you his favorite ones and also a little bit of a breakdown on, you know, what's involved in them. Creatine's in there. So there's a lot of misunderstandings about creatine and why it's avoided by some people. So he's going to break that down a little bit. So definitely check that out and go grab that. It's for free. It's on the website. It's free. Uh, one more time, it's free. Um, we're nuts for giving this stuff away for free, but we're really trying to build up the, you know, a, a, the recognition of what he's doing with Challenger Nutrition and, uh, you know, just expose him to more people. So we're doing, uh, another ebook in September that'll be free on another topic. We released one in July. So they're all available at www.challengerstrength.com. So go check those out, uh, if you haven't yet. And, uh, you know, you won't be sorry. He, he's phenomenal and, uh, little, extra shameless plug. Uh, he's also offering uh, remote coaching for nutrition that also goes with our remote strength coaching and also what we do in person with our athletes. So if you're interested in you know having him create a tailored plan for you, macronutrients, things like that, go uh, check that out. Email us at challengestrength at gmail.com. Reach out to us on social media. Reach out to Julian on social media, me, whoever it is. If you reach out to me, I can direct you to him, however you want to go about doing that. So, um, you know, really start to utilize him as a resource because he's very knowledgeable and he's doing some great stuff. So shout out Jules. Uh, congrats on another great ebook release and more to come, brother. Uh, you know, really loving what you're doing. So keep it up. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Okay. Um, we have Lennon Richards episode 110. I had a Red Bull a little while ago, so I'm, I'm firing on all cylinders right now, if you couldn't tell. So bear with me. The, uh, the Red Bull and my Jersey, uh, energy is definitely on a, a 10 out of 10 right now. So we have episode 110 on Wednesday. Uh, Lennon Richards. Lennon is a director of pitching at baseball development group, a very smart young coach. I like his approach and what he does. And I thought it was a really good episode when we recorded it. So excited for that for you guys. Um, if you haven't yet checked out last week's episode 108 on Wednesday with Anthony Paroli, and then we had another Meathead Monday on Monday, episode 107, talking about the true meaning of individualized programming. So if you haven't yet checked those out and then be on the lookout for episode 110, uh, on Wednesday with Lennon. So, uh, really some good stuff coming up, some good stuff in the past. Go check it all out yet if you haven't. All right. So for today. I guess my thought process on this, what I wanted to do here, I made a video that I posted on social media, um, basically just a, you know, full speed, uh, version of his, his sprint to, to home from third. And then I did a, uh, slow down, a slow motion one to go right after it. And what I'm really going to do is I'm literally going to record this and make comments on, um, what I'm seeing as, as I personally just hold my phone in front of my face and look at the video, um, you know, so I can comment on it. So what that is going to allow is if you're listening to this, go on my Twitter, um, I will comment the video under, 
my uh, when I when I tweet this episode out tomorrow, I'll comment the video underneath it. But it's also literally on my Twitter. I posted it Saturday, so two days ago. There's a, a slow mo video with a breakdown underneath it. So open that video, and you can kind of just watch it as I explain certain things. I'll tell you when to pause, what to look for. Um, you know, really helpful to you if you kind of just use this video through the uh, the full breakdown of this, and then kind of just have it there to go back and look at. And then I'm obviously going to include. Uh, some videos of uh, some things that we do in the facility to get into some of these positions. And I will comment those under the Twitter thread and I will put them in uh, the Instagram post for this episode. I will release a uh, preview video. So Sunday, uh, I will have released a preview video. I do that every Sunday night for the Monday episodes, um, talking about some of the facets of this and then uh, be on the lookout throughout the week for more. But yeah, the video is going to be key. You're going to want to have that handy to look at while I do this. So um, first things first, like you, if you're looking, if you have this video in front of you, you're, you're obviously going to just see him, uh, posted up on third base. Um, you know, say what you want about his hands. Listen, I'm not here to like talk about combine sprinter starts. It's just like not what I do. And I don't think that's the audience that I have, but what I do want to talk about are the really advantageous positions he gets in, um, you know, as he's going home and above all else, I, I really, when I said this was cool, when I talked about it on social media, I think it's cool because you know, you're seeing a young player think outside the box. Like, you don't normally see this a lot. Um, you know, could his left arm be posted up behind his hip to be a little more efficient for his arm swing? Absolutely. Joseph Potts posted that out. Joe, Joe is a really, really smart guy who does a lot of work with uh, football players for combine prep. And, you know, just saying how he could have been more efficient where uh, he started his arm and how the three-point stance is actually a little bit slower than a traditional two-point stance. So I'm in all in agreement on that. Uh, but that wasn't the reason why I posted this or that it came to my attention. Um, the, the reason it came to my attention, frankly, was that TJ uh, Ward, who is one of my athletes, sent it to me on Twitter uh, in the evening, uh, sat Friday night, and then I basically did the post on it on Saturday. But I thought it was really cool. Um, all right, so... What I'm seeing here that I like so far, so in his setup, take away the the uh, thing about the arm, right? Look at his back leg. I think this is really cool. Um, he's already in a you know positive shin angle of his of his leg that's touching third base, so that's gonna be pretty advantageous for him to get no wasted motion. Like there's no drift onto uh, the backside to push off because that's his initial drive leg. Actually, when you look at it, like his initial push is coming from the back leg and not uh, the front side. You know, you could make the argument that he could have set his weight a little more on his front side. And the reason for that is when you look at him, uh, his front side, the shin is not positive. So it's not uh, pushing in that angle going forward, right? It's more top to bottom, more of a vertical shin, so a straight line up and down. And the problem with that is when we accelerate, naturally we're going to push more through the ball of our foot and our shin is going to get. So if you, if you go up a couple ticks right to when his arm swings back and you'll see like how he shifts over his front side. Um, this is going to be something key that I'll comment on going forward into this, but basically like, could you make the argument that he should, could shift onto that front side a little more in his start and be more efficient? Yes. And the reason being is if he already has his weight shifted on that front leg so that it gets him already in a positive shin angle position before he even starts, what he's, what's going to, what it's going to do is it's going to save us time because he won't have to drift over his foot, right? So when you're accelerating, your foot always wants to push off at a point where it's under or behind your hip and it's not going to, you know, 
gather and, and, and send you forward until your weight or your center of mass is over the side. So what happens is it actually ends up stalling a bit. You see that he doesn't really use and push off that front leg to get going until the shin shifts, 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 shifts. Now it's positive, right? Follow along the video. And now his body is over it and then he goes. You could make the argument that if he already started in a positive shin angle, so he had all of his weight loaded on his front side and his and his knee shifting over his toe, he could push right off and go. But that's just being picky. Like he, it's it's baseball. It's during the game. You're not going to be able to get in as many as much of a preset position. Although, if you are going to go through the trouble of getting in more of a sprinter start, tagging up, um, you know. Or a traditional sprinter start. So, you know, obviously I would suggest like a regular two point stance would be your best bet. I think this got a lot of attention because it was like someone doing something a little bit differently out of the box here, uh, outside the box. But anyway, you know, you could shift a little more weight on your front side so that as soon as you push off of it, your body's already over it and it's going. But, um, that's something small here. I don't want to overcloud a lot of the good stuff that he did with that. So, um, let's go on to the next item. You will see that although he has to shift over that front side a bit, he gets a really, really, really good angle of his shin into that push off, right? So, um, you know, you're almost looking at like a, you know, 45 degree angle of his shin, uh, relative to the ground. So if you drew a line straight down his shin when it's at the most positive angle on that first push off, um, you know, and the ground being like the corner of that angle, that's like pretty much 45 degrees, which is really good. And, and what that helps with is, um, a couple things. So you get that 45 degree angle there. And I'll tell you the biggest thing I see about why that's important. So if what you do in your first stride, odds are it's going to happen in your second and your third stride. Um, so if you get in a good position in your first stride, odds are it'll be done again in your second or third. And if you don't get in a good position, you'll see the same thing pop up in your second and third. And the reason this positive angle is important. I spoke on, um, you know, the, the tweet that, he does a really good job of, of going into his second stride. So after he, his back leg leaves the base, that becomes his recovery leg. It's swinging through. And you're going to see when he plants it, it drives back. So he literally makes ground contact. I'm like, if you look at that foot, that left leg, when it's about to land, it's behind his hip. Like it's very far back. And why the positive shin angle on his first push off his keys, that's going to set up more. So as his leg comes through, Watch as he goes to work back under the ground, right? If he comes through with that recovery leg and his shin was more top to bottom as it swings through, what that does is it lessens the space between his foot and the ground, right? So that's going to give us less ability to drive the foot back behind the hip. So if we come through with that leg and that leg swings through and the shin is more top to bottom as it swings through, it's going to be more likely to contact the ground because there's less space between the ground and the foot in front of the hip versus having enough space between the foot and the ground to push back and not touch the ground until it does get as far back as we want it to go, which is behind the hip. So that's, I think that is the biggest thing of why I think that positive shin angle setting up early, whether you want to make the argument that he could have drifted onto it beforehand or not, he does a really good job of getting there eventually, which sets up the left leg to do the same thing so that it drives back behind the hip. Um, you know, you're going to see like it's tucked a little more. So his leg, when his knee is crossing his other knee, so when his left leg is coming through and crossing his right leg knee, um, you're going to see that his shin is pretty much parallel to the ground. And why this is key is that 
when he gets his leg all the way through, he's still going to have a pretty good positive angle of his shin. It's not 45 degrees like it was before when we talked about it, but it's still pretty positive. And what that allows is, look how much space he has now between the ground and his foot, so that while his body is driving off of his right leg, it's going to keep on approaching further and further and further forward, so that when his foot actually does come down, his left foot to touch the ground, bang, it's behind his hip. It's almost in line with his back pocket, right? So that is important because, as I alluded to before, when he takes off, he has to shift over his front side before he can really push, right? Because he doesn't preset in positive shin angle. If we, if our foot in acceleration lands in front of our body, so let's just say when his left leg was going to come down onto this first contact, the foot landed more of where, like, it says San Diego across his jersey, so out in front of him. What's going to have to happen there is it's going to plant. So let's just say, imagine it plants right in front of San Diego, and we look at it right there. If it landed in front of San Diego, his body now has to drift, 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 drift past that that point of contact with his foot before it'll actually push off and continue his body in forward momentum. We're not our body's not going to allow us to continue going forward if our foot is landing in front of it, right? We're going to end up tripping. We're applying braking forces, we're slowing ourselves down. So when we create that extra space with that shin angle coming through on our, our, our leg as it swings through, it gives us extra space. You see his foot now stab back under his hip. So as soon as he makes ground contact, it's behind his hip. It's seamless. His body is just going to continue to go into his next stride, right? If it you know, lands in front of him, it's going to do what's called a stall. Chidi Enya referred to this as a stall when he came on the show, and it's been stuck with me ever since. It's resonated. The foot lands in front of our body, the shin angle is more top to bottom, and the body's going to have to drift, 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 drift over that front side before it's actually in a position to continue to go forward. So that is the most efficient way to accelerate because what it means for us is that as soon as our foot makes contact, there is no wasted motion. Our body is already continuing forward, right? I think that's that's one of the biggest keys of this whole thing. And that is set up from the beginning of how he shifts into positive shin angle, whether you want to say he could have uh, set himself there or not before he left, you know, irrelevant to the point I'm making right now. The point I'm making is that, that he gets there eventually allows him to get to it again and again on a second, third, maybe even fourth stride, right? You're not going to maintain behind the hip contact other than your first couple strides. It's like even the most elite athletes only get behind their hip and he's elite for sure, but you're not going to be able to do that um, as you continue because you do become more upright and it's basically impossible. You'll fall over if you keep doing that. Um, but above all else too, or not above all else, but in addition to this, notice how as his leg swings through that left leg, just see how it works back, like it pushes. I say stab, right? Ken Clark, you know, has the has the analogy of stabbing your foot back onto your hip to get in that point that you want. In my opinion, that is a lot of proprioception. That is something we gather through repetition. Um, you know, I posted this video of one of my remote athletes, Gabe, and the improvements he's made. That was something he couldn't do at will. It was just like he had to really think about it, and sometimes he couldn't get to that position. And how we really got him there is I would just show him videos of what that back working motion looked like with the foot. And he really started to see what that looked like versus what he was doing. A big way we improved upon that was, you know, having the the shin tuck to be a little more um, linear versus top to bottom, giving him more space to land and get and time to basically drive back under the hip. That helped a lot. And things like sleds, right? So when you want to talk about making contact back under your hip. 
Sled sprints and hill sprints are huge, right? Why are these things huge? So if you look at sled sprints and hill sprints, any load either behind us or an incline above us gets the action that we desire, the action being the foot landing behind the hip. Here's why. When I'm pulling a load behind me, if my foot lands in front of me, either there's no humanly possible way that I would be able to carry that sled and continue to go forward. It's going to basically cause me to hiccup. I, I, I've seen it in videos, Gabe, specifically in the videos he sent me, where you catch your foot out in front of your body and it causes you to almost stumble and fall forward because of the weight behind you. The only way you're going to be able to pull that load behind you is if you land with your foot behind your hip in a position of an angle where your body's angled forward and you could just seamlessly touch it and drive forward. The weight needs you to be in a positive shin angle to be able to push the ground and continue to go forward, right? It's impossible without doing that. So what are my biggest things here for getting the foot behind the hip? Hill sprints and uh, sled sprints are huge. And in terms of cues, I love the stabbing back under your hip or behind your hip cue to get them to think of that. So those are the two physical things I would do to get them in the position that we want. The the verbal cue that I would have them visualize and think of to work back and stab back under their hip. And then you just continually add repetition with those things and you begin to get towards a point where it's unconscious competence. It just happens um, via repetition. They don't even think about it, right? Now, if we looked at the idea of, okay, I would like to have the athlete with a little better of a preset, um, you know, shin angle on their front leg when they're in their stance, right? All that is, is honestly just saying, like, get them in a position when they're about to do their 10-yard sprint work, let's just say, and shift their body over their front side so that their shin angle is as positive as you possibly can so they can push off of it and go right away if that's the effect that you're getting. Additionally, when we're talking about building our first step, the first step or that first drive power and, and getting, you know, let's say him getting off the bag as fast as possible, a lot of that is predicated on the amount of pure force we can input into the ground. Again, sleds and hill sprints come in here, but let's talk about sleds particularly. If I add a load behind me, what that's going to do is going to have to force my body to input more force into my front side to push off. So, not only are we going to get the effect of, I have this load behind me, I have to shift over my front side a little more to make it even possible to pull it, but the extra weight being on the sprint is going to make me put more force in the ground and automatically improve my first drive power and, and get me going a little bit faster. So the opposite of the quick feet, it's more of how much force can I put in. The ground contacts are longer, right? They're longer because I need to give myself more time to apply more force and put more into the ground, right? Last thing here, and this is one of the first things that I noticed, but I think, you know, I didn't get to comment on it till now. If you want to look at his arm action, right? So I commented this on the post, but I think his arm action is really beautiful here. Say what you want about, you know, where his arms could have started or where they could have ended up. But if you look at him coming out of that start, man, do I love that back, just aggressive swing of that right arm. Like you, it literally, it starts at just behind his knee crease and goes above that red on the tarp into like, the bleachers on like the third row of the bleachers his hand reaches up to. Um, many people have the misconception that we want our arms in that 90 degree swing. It's not that when you're accelerating, you want more of that, that swing back, that aggressive swing back, kind of like what your legs are doing. Our strides are, we're getting a little more uh, extension through them and they're less cycle-like than they are in top speed because we have to accelerate. The arms are going to mimic the legs. So let the arms have the freedom to do that. A lot of times with athletes, 
they won't do this because they've been trained to not do it. So something as simple as saying like, it's okay, throw your arm back is going to be enough. Um, get them out of the habit though. Like a lot of things that I'll see when I see this is athletes thinking they're just going to throw their hand back. So what you end up seeing is their arm not swinging and it's more of like their, their, um, elbow down to their hand is kind of just like flailing back and it gets no drive whatsoever. So I like to tell them to like have the freedom to keep your arm as straight as you want. Like, don't worry about bending it at a 90 degree angle. We don't want that. But still think about throwing your elbow back. Your elbow and hand is one unit. Throw it back as hard as you can. The arms will help us accelerate the lower half. So the cue that I like there is just throw the arm and the elbow, or I'm sorry, the hand and the elbow back as aggressively as possible. Something you can do, which could be a help, is to have an athlete load a tennis ball into their hand and have to actually throw it to the wall behind them when they take off to kind of actually have them feel that throw back of the hand. Hard drill to execute, but if you can get it right, it could be helpful. And sometimes there could be a, an actual um, range of motion issue where the athlete is restricted in like their pec, let's just say, and they actually can't throw their arm back. So if you want to create some extra range of motion in the chest in that instance, the pec minor, pec major, the pec minor specifically, that could really help, um, you know, lead us through there because the arm action is very key. You're really not going to see his arms get to what you think is that standard 90 degree position unless he went like another, you know, 10 yards past his sprint here. They start to slowly get there as he gets towards home plate. But it's still, it's it's very th- aggressive and, and more uh, mimicking what the legs are doing when we are accelerating. So that's what you want in the arms. Um, you know, to kind of tie this up, those are the three biggest things. You have shin angle, you know, getting the positive shin angle, getting the foot to work back under the hip. Um, the body angle is kind of going to just fall in place. You're going to notice here. So if you, if you uh, you know, really just see him shift over his front side and, uh, you know, push off his body gets into a good angle. You can almost draw a straight line from his foot up to his chest. Like he gets a really good lean going forward. Um, you know, you're really going to notice a really good body angle to go along with the shin angle. So those are the biggest things that I would point out there. Um, you know, and I think that is a lot of what sets him up for success. So, um, you know, take note of that. Um, you know, those are some tools that I gave you guys that you can use to get into some of these positions, um, you know, and, and just don't overthink it. Once we get ourselves using tools that allow us to get in good positions, um, you're going to really see that you can just start to build these movements to be unconscious just to, you know, repetition alone. So I hope that was helpful for you guys. That was fun. Uh, I will see you guys again on Wednesday. As I said, if this is your first time listening to the show and you were brought here by this breakdown, I hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. Uh, we do these Meathead Mondays every Monday and then our interview-based show on Wednesday. So I thank you guys as always for joining and I will talk to you guys Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, signing off on the show that's changing the way we view training, sports performance, and business.